What's going on, trail runners? I am psyched for this edition of the Coopcast, and I'm psyched for two reasons. The first reason is I got to record the entirety of this whole podcast within the confines of my new van, and that just has me tickle pink. You can't tell right now, but I'm grinning ear to ear, and I just absolutely love it. Uh, for those of you that have been following me on social media, I bought a new convert, new to me at least, converted Ford Transit van back in January, and uh, I've been taking some steps to upgrade it and really kind of putting it through the paces. And this week, uh, I got to I got to take another step with it, and I drove it up to uh, Gunnison, Colorado, to record this edition of the podcast. The second reason I'm really psyched for this edition of the Coopcast is because I got to talk to two of our fantastic CTS coaches. Duncan Callahan and Chantel Robitaille about what they're practically doing with their athletes right now. Nothing theoretical. We're not going to talk about any studies or anything like that. Like what are they actually doing with two of their athletes at this moment in time right now, which I think is completely relatable to you guys out there listening. And you guys can take away things that you can literally use in your, in, in your training tomorrow. Uh, Chantel and Duncan are two of our CTS coaches and they've been with us for a few years now. Chantel has a master's in high altitude exercise physiology that she got from Western state up here in Gunnison, Colorado, where I'm recording this podcast. She is wicked smart. She also speaks French and Japanese and German. Did you guys know that? We have some coaches that, that are multilingual here. Uh, she lived abroad for a number of years, originally hailing from Canada and she always brings a well, just a wealth of scientific knowledge and expertise and practical knowledge to the table. Duncan, a lot of you guys will remember, he's a two-time winner of the Leadville Trail 100. Yeah, two-time winner of the, of the Leadville Trail 100 and has worked with all different types of athletes from trail runners to Nordic skiers. He's got a fantastic program here at the university uh, here in Gunnison where they have a full-on, you know, outdoor Nordic ski team. They also do ultra running as well. And hopefully I can get some of, the, uh, some of those fine young men and women on the podcast to really discuss how they got into trail running. So I brought both of these coaches together to talk about what they're doing with a couple of their athletes right now. So they picked two athletes at random, and both of these athletes are training for 100-mile races. Chantel's athlete is training for a 100-mile race in April. And Duncan's athlete is training for the Leadville Trail 100 in August. And they went through, from a very practical perspective, what their athletes are literally doing right now to get ready for these events. So if you're training for a 100 miler in April or you're training for a 100 mile in the middle of summer, there's a lot of learning lessons here. And you can take some of these things and you can literally apply it to your training right now. So have a listen, buckle up. Here we go. Coach Chantel. Coach Duncan on this episode of the Coopcast. Do you want to farkle for it? Farkle? What What's is farkle? farkle? You'll know what a farkle is. You've never heard of that word? Negative. It's a it's it's uh, it's a syn- it, it might be a Texas thing. It's a synonym for a Rochambeau. <laughs> oh, I've oh, never heard I didn't of know it. that. I think you should Rochambeau for it yeah. since you understand. But we gotta go. We gotta go. Rock. Can't pull because that's a no, 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 it's Japanese. three Japanese. Do yeah. you use John the? Can't pull. 
geez, the Euro three yeah. or the American three. Oh my goodness. When we're, so sometimes when we're doing this virtually yeah. and we have three people, I'll assign somebody to be number one, somebody to be uh, number two and somebody to be number three. Gotcha. And that way we can all look at each other and go, you know, one, that means I want to talk Two yeah. that means uh, the person okay. across from me needs to talk. Yeah. And then three, that means the person on the phone needs to talk on the computer. <laughs> oh, okay. And uh, we were doing this with uh, Steph and Adam the other day and Steph picked the Euro three because she spent so much time so much in France time. and is kind of a Francophile by now. Yeah. <laughs> but we were looking at, the only reason I know the Euro three is because my favorite NBA player is Dirk Nowitzki. Ah, there you go. Uh, and what you is American that three? Just How long have you lived awkward. here? You don't know what an American no, three is, Chantel? So it's not awkward. It's so awkward. It, it hurts you my know, You know what? No, it's awkward. That's awkward. No. I'm straining. That's just normal. Yeah, no. You Americans. Index finger, middle finger, no. and then your ring finger. And you want to take yous out of things and no. Yeah, okay. <laughs> hey, all right, let's get started. Rochambeau for it. <laughs> all right, so we're going to go one, two, three, shoot. Okay. None of this one, two, shoot crap. Okay. okay. One, two, three, right, and right. then thing. Yeah, Ready? Yeah, okay. one, one, two, two three, three, shoot. Yeah. Ooh, tie. tie. One, two, three, shoot. All right. Damn it. Chantel wins. Chantel, you get to go first. All right. <laughs> Who you got? I have um, a woman who's in her mid-30s. And she has, I've been training her since last year, so it's super fun to have a little bit of a long-term relationship with her. Last year, she did her first 50-miler, and this year she is planning for her first 100-miler with a potential plan to do a second one this year as well. And the first one will be in April, and it's the Umstead 100 in South Carolina. Perfect. So what is she doing right now so in the this is going to come out the first week of february okay. second week of february what is she going to be doing at that moment in time well her race is in april so she'll be oh it'll be coming up quick it'll be coming okay. up pretty quick uh right now she is unfortunately rehabbing a little bit she has had a little bit of plantar fasciitis problem um, but it's coincided with her also having the flu so it's been a bit of a force one two rest. punch yeah, forced rest. Um, but um, she's, she was last week starting a bit of running back. Um, we were doing some run-walk intervals and some other gym training to keep her brain on top of things and keep her going. Uh, but she's still excited, still ready, and I think we'll still, we'll still be on track. But I think the, the training is going to be a little bit touch and go, obviously, because of the, the injury. We want to keep her healthy throughout the season, not just, you know, surviving her hundred miler, but actually enjoying it. For sure. For sure. Okay. So what, what, what in February are going to be like the main things that you're going to try to accomplish with her? Um, there are a number of things that we want to work on. Obviously she accomplished a lot of, um, positive things last year, you know, dialing in nutrition, um, figuring out how much rest she needs, how much training stress she can handle, and a lot of really positive um, mental stuff, you know, really improving her mental game and, and um, dealing with problems. A couple things that we still need to work on are night running because she gets a little bit freaked out. Um, so that's definitely in the plans. And there's some pretty cool events happening in South Carolina that she's lined up to do. So she'll actually have some, um, she's got some events where she'll be on the actual race course doing shorter distance races and then also some training runs. Um, there's also a specific um, night race that she's planning to do and then a little bit of night running planned with friends. 
So those are some big things we need to work on aside from training, just from the mental side of things. Let's talk about night running for just a little bit because that's something a lot of uh, runners have either trepidation with or they just don't do it and then they get to race day and they're like, do I need a 200 lumen headlamp or mm-hmm. 150 lumen headlamp and how long is this thing going to last? Like what specific with what specifically with her is the trepidation part of the night running? So we dialed in the gear part, which is great. Um, there was a little night run that she did uh, back in the fall and that was a f- it was a four-hour night run, and it wasn't, you know, through the night. But that was a good opportunity to, like, build up a little bit of confidence, realize she's going to have to slow down, um, realize that it's gonna, things are going to look yep. different, and to test out different headlamps. And what's the setup? So she's got, um, she's got a black diamond headlamp now that she's comfortable with and can see well. Okay. Um, then she did a 100K, and that was going into the night after 14 hours, and that's where she started freaking out again. No one was in sight. She couldn't see anyone. She worried she was getting lost. She, you know, the whole panic it's cycle. The alone set Yeah, aspect. I'm all alone here, yeah. and suddenly couldn't breathe well, and, you know, ended up, unfortunately, dropping from the race. So, you know, it's it's not a terrible thing because it's a good way to see how you do react, right? So we talked through what are some what are some ways she can get through that, you know, what could you do differently the next time? So maybe, you know, just calm yourself down, realize that you probably are on track. Don't let your brain get away with you, you know, from you. You can hang out for a while and see if someone else comes along. But, you know, the best, you know, you can wait a little bit, but the best thing is to keep yourself going to that next aid station and then reassess. Maybe you can leave with someone else. Um, But the big thing for her was to work up confidence and realize she's going to need a pacer because she was planning to do the race without one. Um, And now we know that she definitively needs to have a pacer with her. Yeah. And that's the quintessential... uh uh, use of a pacer as a safety runner, mm-hmm. right? Which is a lot, which a lot of races will actually describe their pacers as because you're really not pacing the athlete. It's like, pri- it's primarily a safety thing yeah, at that absolutely. point. Did you ever tinker around, tinker around when you're going through the gear piece of it with just like different, different like level, different lumen levels of light setups? Because I I've, I've found like a lot of athletes that are like nervous about running at night, sometimes just paying the weight penalty mm-hmm. and getting a super bright, like 700 lumen headlamp that you have to swap the batteries out every four hours on for whatever reason, that amount of light just brings the comfort level or just enhances the comfort level that the athlete has from the, the, be, the being alone aspect. Yeah. I know she did get, I, I mean, I had given her some suggestions about ones and they were strong ones. And in the end, I can't remember which one she chose, but she felt she felt comfortable with the yeah, light yeah. she had. Yeah. I think it was just the, oh my gosh, I'm alone. Yeah. I don't see anyone. I think I'm lost. This is horrible. <laughs> Everything sucks. <laughs> you know, we've all been there. We've all been there. Um, and then it was just kind of tough to to rein herself in from that once the you know once the panic situation started. Well, an, an April race is going to have a lot of nighttime. Yeah, as absolutely. well. It's not like a summer race where you know you might have nine or maybe 10 hours at nighttime or something like that. Like she's realistically going to have 12 hours. Yeah. The good thing about this race is they allow, they allow pacers by time of day. So by 6 PM, you can have a pacer, um, or, you know, five laps, it's eight laps total this race. So by 6 PM, you can have a pacer. So that's really comforting, you know, to, 
to remember. Well, I'm sure the loop aspect too is going to be comforting for her as well because she'll see the same yep. pieces in the daytime. Yep. And, and then she'll, she'll see them at night and then the whole, I don't know where I am. I think I'm lost is yep. a little bit reduced. And they don't reverse each time. You know, you're doing the, the same loop in the same direction every time. So since she's had, you know, something I, that I think is a little bit different that I've done with this athlete that I've kind of carried on for a few others is, you know, she planned to do this race long in advance. She's a very organized detail-oriented woman. So I asked her to put put all her fears and all her concerns about doing a 100-miler into a spreadsheet because she's a spreadsheet person. <laughs> and just keep adding, keep adding on to it. You know, when you think of something, instead of just carrying it around, stick that thought somewhere and then we'll, we'll deal with it. And we speak every week. So we go through the list and see like what is still pending. And then we think about like, okay, these are the things. Here's how we're going to attack those little monsters. And so little by little, you know, we've been building confidence for this over the last many months, giving her either training opportunities where she can practice those things that are, that she thinks are going to be difficult, or she can, you know, in advance know what her nutrition strategy is going to be, that she's going to need pacers, who they're going to be, etc. And then there's no more need to worry about that stuff because you can see it in black and white, that it's it's dealt with, it's not a problem, and you can focus on the things that really matter. And for her, that's been actually really helpful. That's so cool. It's like a fear and adversity yep. checklist, yep. essentially. And yeah. So she goes through it and then has some sort of exercise or some sort of training opportunity, checks that fear yep. or adversity off the list, and then you can go back to it later as a coach and say, listen, see, you did this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to be fine. We've practiced this. You're good. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. So you've got that. You've got mm-hmm. your night running. Yep. We've what got else the night are, running. are the focuses going to be? And focuses or foci? Is it foci? Foci. Foci. Okay. Foci definitely foci. Being, definitely foci. Correct. Okay. Even for Americans. Perfect. Yeah. Americans were terrible at grammar. <laughs> what, what are the other foci in the last eight weeks leading up to this 100 miler? So preparing for the, the, you know, preparing for the specifics of this event. So it's a, it's a looped course. Um, it's 12 and a half mile laps. So they do eight of those and it's about a thousand feet of gain each lap. Um, it's also a gravel course. So being, you know, being specific. So she lives where she luckily can, she's already scoped out like all the different gravel, gravel running opportunities that she has. So we can make it specific and we can have, you know, very similar course elevations that she can practice on. And she's also got, I think, two more opportunities to go. They have these training runs for this race, which is great. And they go and they run, they run a couple of, you know, they run a couple of laps. And it's just, you know, self-support. They got a table in the middle. You put your stuff down and, and you go run. Um, and one of those is going to be at night, which is going to be super helpful. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, her um, training is going to be specifically on gravel, even though she last year got to run on a lot of really fun, gnarly trails and really got a lot of good confidence built up uh, running up and downhill and running on varied terrain. This is going to be a lot different uh, preparation than that. How much do you think the course recon actually plays into this whole final preparation period? Because that's a strategy a lot of athletes undertake. Uh, irrespective of whether they live close to the course or not, is they're training for a hundred miler and they live somewhere else. They come out to Colorado or California or whatever, six, eight weeks before the race. And they do 50 miles, sometimes even a hundred K of the course. And you see that like time and time again, as part of the preparation process and in, in adhering to the principle of specificity, I think that that's a really smart way to do it. But a lot of times it's just not possible. 
logistics, you can't get out Mm -hmm. there, you don't have the timing, sometimes some sort of like life situation butts up against when you're going to go out there, you get sick or you have some, you know, event to graduation actually that, that, uh, prohibits a lot of athletes from going out to experience their course, their kids graduate from high Mm -hmm. school or college or whatever. It's always right around this critical time. So how much do you think that that play, how much do you think that's going to play a part in your athlete's preparation? And if you didn't have that, would you replace it with anything different? For this particular athlete, um, because she's had, you know, experiences in the past of having, you know, uh, something negative happens and, you know, letting that get carried away. And that's something that she's, I'm so proud of her, how she's managed to rein that in over this past year. You know, when she has a, has a negative thought, how she can now talk herself back down from that thought and keep going and stay positive. Um, because this is such a big thing for her, I think for this particular athlete, you know, she's in a lucky situation. So that's going to be some added confidence. Um, but is it necessary? Not really. I mean, I have athletes who spend a lot of time training on treadmills because that's all they have the opportunity to do. And they can, you know, some of them are winning races and they're spending a large percentage of their time on treadmills or on terrain that is vastly different from what they're going to race on. So it's a nicety, not a necessity. It's a nice to have. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice to have, not a must have. Perfect. And there's a lot of other races that are going around around this April timeframe, especially hundred mile races that I think athletes have a hard time like wrapping their training heads around it because of the time of year. You know, you think about the December, January timeframe, particularly for athletes that live in like mountainous or colder areas, their training gets pinched in by their, their environment. Yet they've got this hundred mile event coming up in April. This happens with hurt, which just went on over last weekend a lot where it's a January race and all these mountain athletes want to go to it because it's a burly, gnarly mountain mm-hmm. race, but they get their training gets pinched because in October, November, and December, winter starts falling, kind of kind of falling. But there are more and more hundred milers in this April time frame that start to take on that same kind of that same same vibe. The Zion One Hundred is one that kind of comes to mind that that I've done. Have you done Zion? Duncan? I've not, but we've had athletes from the Western Collegiate team. Uh, have done that. And so we see that here all the time. You yeah. Know, people trying to train in February in Gunnison is pretty hard. And so, and so with those athletes in particular, you mentioned treadmill running mm-hmm. and fitness always matters the most, even yep. if you can't get out and do the most precise amount of elevation gain, elevation loss. What are some other strategies for athletes that are preparing for hundred mile events in this April, May timeframe that might get their training limited by some environmental factor? What are some of the things that they can do to help overcome that? I think the the key thing you mentioned is fitness matters, right? So if you are able to run on a treadmill, then that's what you do. That's what you use. And then also enjoy where you live. So if you're a mountain athlete, a June race might feel early because you're you know, your, your time frame to run on trails. You is, know about that. Yeah. <laughs> June race feels early for Gunnison. A June yeah. race is really early for where we live here in Gunnison, right? So, you know, that can feel early. So what can you do? Maybe there are some trips, you know, are there some trails that you can access? Are there some cross-country ski trails that you can run on? Do you cross-country ski? I mean, that's a great, that's a great um, exercise as well. Totally. Or people who get into ski mountaineering, you know, for people who live here, typically they swap their running shoes for skis. And that's a fantastic way to not maintain fitness because who wants to maintain fitness but to build fitness and challenge your 
body in a slightly different way so that you're you're ready, you know, once you can access your trails. Yeah. And the other thing that I always encourage athletes to think about, particularly at the 100 mile distance, is the pace is usually so slow mm. that even if you're just slogging around on trails, even on snowshoes, snowshoes yeah. you're still yeah, likely one. moving faster than what you are during the race mm-hmm. right. just because the distance is so much longer. So it's not a you don't lose that speed component. In fact, it's usually the opposite. I mean, usually with 100-mile races, and we talk about this a lot in our coaching group, you're always running in an over-speed condition, even on the recovery runs. Mm-hmm. Right? You're always running in an over-speed c- condition, except for the like the very, 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 very best right. in the fastest races, mm-hmm. which are, you know, there might be five people that yeah, act, that actually applies anomalies. to. Anomalies. Yeah, yeah, very much. Anom- well, anomalous for two reasons. The person and then the race has to be really, really fast as mm-hmm. well. Track race, you know, flat 100 miler or something like right. that. And so, so I always encourage athletes that when the winter comes around and they like, they complain about their normalized graded pace getting slower or their training stress scores not being as high as they are because the terrain is slowing them down, the snow and ice is slowing them down. You just show them how like how how slow they actually are with all due respect how slow yeah, yeah how slow they are in 100 even 100k mm-hmm. and then it starts to make sense they're still running two minutes per mile three minutes yeah. four minutes five minutes per mile faster on most training runs yeah. than and they will a, during the race that's a good reminder you know if you're going out for a three-hour training run you don't i don't don't want you to go out and run your three-hour pace I want you to think about, you know, realistically, what's your 50 mile pace going to be? What's your 100 mile pace going to be? So, you know, don't have to, you don't have to get out there and push as hard as possible for, you know, pace wise, get out there and work at the effort that you should be working, the effort level that you should be working at. It's so hard to get athletes to do that. Yeah. Ego wise, it's tough. For sure. You know, when you're looking at, looking at those numbers, especially for athletes that are very data driven. You know, that it's, it's, you have to get them away from that a little bit and tune into their body and their body's performance of where they're at and not just look at the numbers. Because the numbers are, yeah, the numbers are there and the numbers are important, but they don't represent the whole picture. So just as a practical example with this particular athlete, she's going to average what, what, how many minutes per mile during the race? 12 maybe at the at the fastest end at the very at the very the fast. very fastest then, end it, so let's just say let's give it a range right 12 to 14 minutes. 12 miles. to 14 yeah during during training she's going to average what 10 to 12 yeah so right. you're you're easily talking about 10 or 15 percent faster during mm-hmm. any one day of training maybe even 20 percent faster during any one day of training consistently day after day after day after day as they are during the race you can't think of another endurance application where that's the case like even in an Ironman triathlon, if you even took the individual components, all of those athletes for their endurance days are training either at or slower than what they're doing on race day. Mm-hmm. In ultra running, it's the opposite, yeah, which has absolutely. always been such a fascinating proposition. Yeah. Right. I mean, I have some athletes, a few of them that do, they do ultra running at certain times of the year, and then they do also some pretty fast marathon running at certain times of the year. And that's really tricky because that's a whole mindset shift, right, to their to their training, especially when they've been, you know, intensively training for a marathon and they're looking for a pretty fast time. And then now we switch over to ultra running. And then, you know, the we're not going by pace anymore. You know, we're not prescribing by pace anymore. We're not going hard quite as often and pace in general is slowing down. And that's another thing that can be from a 
from an ego perspective, right? Looking at those numbers can be like, oh my gosh, I'm not as fit now in July as I was in April right. preparing for that marathon. But that's that's not the case. It's it's different. It's different preparation, different kind of race, different kind of strategy, and it requires a complete mind shift. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more, Chantel. And I think a lot of a lot of that gets wrapped up, or a lot of athletes get wrapped up in that that come from a marathon or a multi-sport background because they're used to this different training paradigm. They're used mm. to this training paradigm where you do all of your slow like base miles in the winter and then you ratchet up the intensity in spring and then you have super high intensity and then you race in the middle of summer. And so the training arc generally goes from low intensity to high intensity because the race is the highest intensity piece of the whole proposition mm -hmm. or the races during the summer mm -hmm. and ultra running is the opposite mm -hmm. where the racing is the lowest intensity proposition yeah. that you're going to have in the entire thing. I mean, a hundred mile race is for almost everybody, the lowest intensity activity that they're going to, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. It's the lowest intensity activity that they're going to do for their entire training, you know, for their entire training, unless they're sitting on, unless you count sitting on the couch, right? That would be a low, which you know, there's a lot of sitting down and <laughs> mile races sitting, as well. But, sitting, and, <laughs> sitting and noshing. Yeah, but you're absolutely right that that psyche, I think athletes should be mindful during the last eight weeks of, of, of 100 mile training that, yeah, it's okay to go a little bit slower. It's okay to, you know, slow down your pace, slow down your intensity because it's more specific to the event. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what else is this athlete doing in the last eight weeks? The last eight weeks, also, you know, dialing in nutrition again a little bit. Um, this athlete also, um, she struggled a, f uh, a few instances with um, breathing, not just from, you know, I mentioned when she was had that emotional time yeah, during yeah. a run, but also had some difficulties breathing. So we've also worked on that. Um, she had some allergy testing done. Um, she's got some environmental allergies that she can control well. Uh, but also she found out about some food allergies she had no idea about, like something even as common as uh, egg whites. And she was eating a ton of eggs and those, you know, RX bars. So mm -hmm. sometimes also, you know, deal if, if you're struggling with something and you're, you know, don't give up on a problem. You know, if you keep having it, um, just get some answers. So now uh, we are working a little bit on nutrition a little bit, you know, daily nutrition to make sure that she's eating enough because now she's had to cut out things from her diet that were absolute staples. So, you know, we're working on that. Uh, that's really, I don't not oh, to interrupt sorry. you, that's really hard when the training volume is yeah. high, mm -hmm. like man, making a dietary change, yeah. either in this time it's prompted by 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 an allergy, but in other times it's just prompted by, I want to change my diet for whatever other reason. Because you're used to consuming a certain amount of calories with with the foodstuffs that you like. Yeah. And if you have to eliminate one of those types of foodstuffs, a lot of times you forget that you have to replace those calories with something else. And right. when the training demands are really high, that becomes quite problematic for for an athlete. They can't recover. They can't recover as fast. They mm -hmm. might even increase their susceptibility for injury. They might not adapt to the training, right? Yeah. We know that low caloric states you don't mm -hmm. adapt as well to the training. So, like watching the diet, like watching your diet in the last eight weeks of training, is just incredibly important for athletes, and especially when they have to make any sort of dietary change that's prompted by whatever. Yeah, yeah. so that's that's been kind of tricky. So the you know I mentioned like last year we did a lot of work to find 
training nutrition and race nutrition that works well. So that's not going to impact that because we found some specific things that really worked well for her and learning, you know, what is safe to eat from an aid station table. So she's quite used to now preparing her own stuff for a race. Um, and for her 100-mile race, because there's only there's one aid station that's on the course where you can have your own drop bag or box. And then the second one is where your crew is. So that's oh, going to be a no-brainer for her. But really for the training, as the training is you know ramping up in those final eight weeks, my concern is her daily nutrition, making sure that she's getting proper, you know, she's properly fueled for the workouts, after the workouts, and in between, you know, especially since there are some real staple things that she's always relied on that now she can't have. So now she's been working to kind of track her nutrition, what she's taking in, how much, um, and that'll, you know, go along the way trying to find new things that that work and that she enjoys eating. And are you trying to be isocaloric with her during these last eight weeks? Yeah. Yeah, that's spot on. Yeah. I mean, we, we've seen it a lot where athletes, they try to drop their last two to three pounds no, in the last month no. of training. And that's the worst time to do it. No, It's the absolute worst time to do it because your training's the hardest and you want the adaptations from training and you kind of like automatically put a governor on those adaptations by inducing a negative caloric balance. Yeah, that, would, that, for me would be a, that for me would be a warning sign if we saw that the weight was dropping. Yeah. We definitely do not want to see the weight dropping. We want it to stay we want it to stay pretty consistent so that we know she's getting enough calories and that's, you know, that's working for her body and paying attention, you know, how does that, is there any changes in mood, sleep or anything like that, you know, with making a, a, a shift, those kind of things can happen and aren't really conducive to good recovery or good energy state when training. You know, it's really interesting is there's not, there's no dialogue about, oh, we're going to do these types of intervals or we're going to increase fitness over here. Or we're going to improve your VO2 max there. It's all like really preparation specific, like really race specific yeah. stuff, which I think is just spot on. Yeah. I think eight weeks out, that's where you need to be. That other, all that, all those other things that comes well, well before it. But in eight weeks we're we've got the eye on the prize now and we're, we're preparing for that race. But I mean, it's especially interesting because the training hasn't been perfect going into it, nope. right? You had an injury, you had mm -hmm. an illness and you had the, that injury and that illness with this athlete in a, you know, which you could consider all trainings critical, but, but a pretty critical time, mm -hmm. you know, 12 weeks out, what's the time yeah. frame on that? 16 weeks, yep. 12 weeks out. Yeah. 12. And that's, that's when, you know, training should kind of be hot and heavy at that point. So still, even despite that you're using like you and the athlete are using like really good judgment, not to like cram yeah. and force we feed the training in like the last six we weeks. We can't go backwards. You yeah. know, we can't go backwards. What's what's done is done. And right now the biggest, you know, also because she's recovering from an injury, this would be the last time the last time you want to try and cram in extra intensity or extra workouts. Because now the focus is showing up to the start line healthy and and ready. You know, so it might not be the best time, but you know, for a first hundred miler where the athlete is hoping to finish, she's not putting any undue stress on herself. And I think that's a big one for people doing their first hundred miler, because as much as you prepare, stuff is going to happen that you don't anticipate. And so not, you know, not putting too much pressure on yourself is, I think, also important. That takes a lot of confidence. And I don't think a lot of athletes and coaches appreciate that. Like the, mm. the, 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 
the athlete's ability to resist the urge to cram in more training in the last four to six weeks of preparation, not only for a hundred miler, but their first hundred miler. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that she's just kind of like, okay, like I'm going to back off. I'm just going to do the things that are specific to the event. I don't need to cram in training. That That either shows a lot of like really good coaching by you. I think you should take some credit for that. But also it shows like the athlete has developed a lot of confidence through the entirety of the training process because we've all seen this as coaches where, you know, athletes will start to push the panic button Mm -hmm. four weeks out from the event and go, oh my God, I haven't done enough. I feel Mm underprepared. I'm missing this. I'm missing that. I need to go on a 70 mile long run. Yep. Chronic nature training. It's (laughs) there. I mean, this is recognition of the fact that this person's got a, a a history of training and fitness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, we could take that chronic nature of training dialogue a bunch of different ways. I mean, people always ask, and I've written a few articles about this, mm-hmm. about what your longest long run should be, like the one single mm-hmm. long run. Right. And to, to I, 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 I tend to flip questions like this around a lot in a similar way. I think that's the wrong question to ask. It's not what is the longest long run, is what is the total amount of training that you can handle throughout the entire arc right. of training, six months, nine months, kind of whatever it is. If you're focused on that one long run being the difference between 45 and 50 miles, whatever it is, that's only a five mile difference right. in yeah. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles of training that you will actually do in preparation for the actual event. Yeah. And so if you can remember that chronic nature of training, Duncan, as you as, as you just mentioned, it lends to the last six to eight weeks being one which you can focus on all of the things that are specific to the event and not push the fitness panic button. Yeah. And I think that's the good thing with this with this particular athlete. I've I've worked with her for now for over a year. So I think I know what she's capable of. And I think she's also developed trust in me as her coach. You know, we, we speak every week. She asks a lot of good questions. She is probably like a textbook athlete that you'd want to have. She really cares, you know, she really cares about what she's doing. She asks really insightful questions and she does the work. She works really hard. If I'm asking her to take it easy, she'll take it easy because she knows why she needs to take it easy. If she needs to go hard, she understands why she's going hard and what the physiological benefit is that we're trying to get out of it. Hmm. So now that she's had an injury and she's been working with a physical therapist and, you know, I'm following those particular guidelines and, you know, mentally it's hard because you're used to running, you know, a minimum of 10, 15 hours a week. So she's putting in a little bit more gym time, doing a little bit of swimming, doing other things to to help her feel like she's working towards her overall progress. And I think that's helping her have the confidence in trusting the big picture training, not just what's happening right now. Well, I guarantee you there are people that are going to be listening to this right now that are in a similar situation. They've got a big race coming up in April. They got dinged up in January or in December and they're kind of wanting to know what to do next. This, this provides a really good blueprint for that, but also if you just phase shift the timeline into the summer and let's say it's a July, August race, mm-hmm. right? You're training for the Leadville trail 100. We're going to talk about that in a second. You're training for the Leadville trail 100 or 
Yeah, or even uh, something like Western States or uh, Never Summer or something like that. I'm picking a lot of mountain, uh, mountain races <laughs> kettle here. Kettle Moraine in June. Or, yeah, yeah, Kettle Moraine. Yeah, exactly. If you phase shift everything down just a couple of months, there are going to be other athletes that are in the first part of this situation. Maybe they get a little bit dinged up or have something life-wise happen where training is interrupted in February or March. And so I think also a lot of those learning lessons, if you take them now and you learn how to do how you're going to do it right for five weeks from now, you can do the, the, the right things in the present to set that up correctly. Mm-hmm. And that's make sure you get, get over your injury, do the work, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And when you do the work, then you'll actually do the recovery mm-hmm. and it all falls, follows from there. Yeah. And don't panic. Don't panic. It's just running. Yeah. Panic, ne- <laughs> Panic never uh, made anybody a dime, as Warren Buffett is famous mm-hmm. for saying, and it never made anybody a very good runner. Yeah. That's right. Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. So where are the highlights, Chantel? Let's try to wrap it up in so 30 seconds or less. The highlights, trust your training, uh, be realistic with where you're at, don't rush back too soon, don't too, do too much too fast, uh, listen to your coach. <laughs> shameless plug, shameless there. plug yeah, for all no of us problem here. With that. Um, but really just, you know, just trust yourself and realize that those, you know, if you are injured, those negative emotions are going to come up, you know, deal with them, but don't let those negative emotions push you to causing yourself further harm and realizing that, you know, particularly for people preparing for big, you know, long races, hundred milers, your training is, you know, that's a long, you got to play the long game with your race strategy. Uh, training is, training is the same. Yeah. The long game, once again, that's just one of those things that's timeless, especially in ultra running. Like if you just think about things on a, sometimes even two or three years. Yeah. And now with the lotteries, it's kind of forcing people to think about things like in True. a multi-year, yeah, five years, yeah. six yeah. years, eight years. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think that that's the worst thing in the world to think about training and preparation for an arduous event over that type of time course, because we see the opposite. We see the opposite of that with the Leadville Trail 100, which just you're Duncan, you're going to talk about, they just had their lottery this weekend. One of the reasons that they have a notoriously terrible finish rate, it's around 50% every Mm -hmm. year is just because people go into it with little preparation, not understanding what they're undertaking. It gets a lot of first time hundred milers because they've, you know, read Born to Run or they've seen this movie. Right. It's mm-hmm. got a lot of like sex appeal to it and stuff like that. And they just neglect the training process and the main way that they neglect it is from a like a totality of training. They probably do a shit ton of training in the last eight weeks. Mm-hmm. But right. they don't not do the right sh- kind. They're not the right kind, but they don't do a lot of training over the course of a year. And they, that's mm-hmm. they've all watched trouble. indulgence from Krupitchka's oh, Osei where he ran a thousand <laughs> miles in five weeks. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and that's all you need is yeah. a thousand miles yeah. in five weeks. Yeah. But what people don't realize <laughs> And you and I have, you know, a very keen memory of this. Me living in Colorado Springs, right. seeing everything that happened before that five weeks. That's right. Yeah. That, from a training perspective, is a bigger part of the story than the sexy five weeks of 200 mile weeks right. running with your shirt off in the sun. And, you know, <laughs> Man, yeah. so good looking uh, though. Uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> anyway, we go, I've mentioned Tony too many times on, on this podcast Poor not guy. to have him on. Yeah, you know, you know, get him. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Leadville, Duncan. Leadville's very near and dear to your heart. Yeah, near, former and, winner. near and dear to my heart. You guys gave me grief for selecting an athlete doing Leadville, but I. You know, I, part of the reason why I selected this athlete was, you know, it's it, in 
in some ways, a lot of my Rocky Mountain athletes, people from the Rocky Mountain West are gearing up for either Leadville uh, or another late summer, early fall hundred. So I think there's some crossover there. And then this individual, I mean, he, he represents, uh, you know, a, a big swath of the demographic I work with too, right? So, you know, mid forties, couple kids, too many jobs, you know, too much going on, uh, loves to run, doesn't love structure, uh, you know? So I, I think this is pretty, it's one of the reasons why I selected this athlete. So uh, this guy, uh, front range of Colorado, uh, early forties. I think he's 42. I think he's turning 43 in a week. So let's call him 43. Cause yeah, I think this yeah. pod will come out after he turns 43. He'll be 43 on race day for sure. Yeah. On race day, he'll be 43. That's still early forties. <laughs> it is. It is. So thankfully, thankfully <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm not quite there yet. You got some new gray in your beard. I just noticed. I do. I'm looking a little rugged. It's uh. well, it used to just be kind of like more like onesie twosie gray yeah, hairs, but yeah. now you've got like a pretty solid like maturity patch there. there. The, oh, yeah. This is the first year I've grown out the facial hair. It's a little ridiculous, but uh, I'm liking it. I'm All liking right. it. I'll, I'll keep it. Man. We'll, we'll keep it until May and then we'll see. I'll All make right. a decision in May. There you go. So, uh, so this athlete, this is going to be his third 100. Uh, Leadville is going to be his third 100 miler in 2020. Uh, this past year he did another Colorado hundred, uh, run rabbit run went, went decent, had some good training. I've been working with him since January. So a little over a year ago, uh, had good training, good consistency, uh, had some, some issues and some flaws with race day nutrition, which we can get into a little bit, uh, but successfully completed run rabbit run, uh, you know, top of the final third of the, the race, you know, so, uh, you know, back of the middle of the pack put to you that way. <laughs> and, uh, my, my wife always calls yeah. herself a front of the middle of the pack. Front of the middle. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. like, that's, you're dividing, you're yeah. splitting the hair too fine there. You're, it's mid pack. Mid pack. Yeah, right. Front of the All pack, right. middle of the pack, back of the pack, this and guy's, thirds evenly. If you get any more granular than that, yeah, yeah. it's just. Well, I, I think I've heard this athlete say he aspires to be a front of the mid pack runner. Oh, he was bummed that he was a back of the mid pack runner in his last hundred. So, <laughs> so we're working. And so, you know, run rabbit run, uh, mid September. And then from there he had a, had a small, you know, regional 50 K in third week in October. And then from there went to, uh, you know, had a few weeks off and then went into about six, seven weeks of unstructured, simple running. Okay. You know, so I'm trying to paint the picture of where we are now. Got it. Got it. So, uh, not much of a injury history, little things here and there, but nothing that's forced to lay off, uh, successfully completed, two summers of ultra running now, two seasons, complete hundred in September, uh, some mile training and then, uh, some recovery and then some simple running, uh, up until about the new year. Okay. And so he's getting back into it. He's getting back into it, yeah. okay. but he wasn't injured, wasn't sick, wasn't chronically fatigued, uh, has maintained motivation and just, you know, just had that downtime period, which I advised Perfect. and he was into, but still you got a lot of time between now, a lot of time in August, a lot of time. End of August, towards the end of August. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So we've got you know seven plus months. Yeah, and uh, looking at the rest, look, looking at the rest of his race schedule, he's got a uh, he wants to do a fifty k in March. Uh, wants to do. Uh, I'm not sure if he's signed up for this yet. The the North Fork fifty in June, um, and I'm I'm not sure if we're going back and forth on fifty k versus fifty mile, and then wants to do Silver Rush in. July in Leadville and then go to the, the hundred again in August. So, um, 
so that kind of maps out the schedule. Uh, we haven't talked, you know, small local races yet in terms of, you know, trail marathon or 50 Ks as, as training, but those are the four events. That's and a pretty prototypical buildup. 50K, yeah. 50 mile, yeah. 100 mile. Yeah. All and six weeks apart or something like that. Yep. He's yep. pretty prudent in that regard. And, you know, I, I, I definitely am in agreement. So, uh, so that's where we are. And so right now, you know, years ago, I, I would think that the prevailing wisdom for somebody getting ready for Leadville was you just run a bunch in the winter. Then you get to summer and you just run a bunch more. And then, <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know if that was just me. Or, miles yeah. in four weeks. The Duncan Callahan. <laughs> yeah. The, the, you were pretty, su- pretty successful with that. Yeah, so yeah. But, knock it. Um, but I think, and I, I alluded earlier, this guy, he's, he's not really into structure. doesn't like intervals, doesn't like tempos, anything like that. So he's been getting a lot better. And so right now what we're doing, again, he's healthy. We've kind of worked into uh, an interval phase here with some VO2 max intervals three to four weeks uh, at that currently. We might extend that a week or two. Well, just give a typical workout of that. Yeah, uh, four by four minutes, uh, you know, hard uh, to, to put it uh, uh, simply. Four minutes as hard as you can go, four minutes as easy. Yeah, almost as hard as you can go. How about four. that? 90%, yeah. 95%, 95%. Okay. yeah. Got it. Uh, you know, five by three minutes, those sorts of things. Doing a couple of those a week, keeping the long run super moderate now. Uh, I think we probably had two and a quarter hours. Uh, we'll probably get up to two and a half okay. hours based on his schedule, but pretty moderate long run. And then so it's probably like 10 hours a week total if I'm adding that up. Yeah, between nine and 11 hours. Yeah, and perfect. Yep. Okay. And, uh, and to, to paint that picture during his, his time in November and December when he was just doing simple running, he was running six, eight hours a week, you know, without any structure. So that kind of sets up where he is now. And, and I think he's liking it. I mean, I think so far so good. Uh, this but you're is, having him do like super high intensity right now. Yeah. Just, just mixing it up. And, and honestly, I know, right. I mean, clearly there's, there's physiological benefit and, you know, mechanical efficiency benefit and all these things. Um, there's the mental benefit of mixing it up. He's doing some of his runs on a treadmill and instead of just hopping on a treadmill for an 11 mile, you know, hour 25, he's, he's getting in some, uh, some structure. He's getting in some intervals and sweating a little harder on a treadmill. And he says, it's fun. You know, we'll talk to me in March yeah, and we'll yeah, see how we'll it goes. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think, I think that's an important, uh, distinction. It's, it's adding some variety to his training. Um, I think it may be too early to see any adaptation from that. And he's never done any high intensity or he's just adverse to it. He's adverse to it. Last year we got into tempo, uh, stuff quite a bit. I don't think I, uh, looking back, last night and prep for this, I don't think I had him doing any VO2 max okay. intervals last year. And what's it, what, before he got in, you said he was, he's been doing trail and ultra running for a couple of years. Correct. Th- his third year. This is his third year. What uh, was his sport background before that? Did a lot of road running. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Uh, not a ton of miles more. I maybe call more, has he said this? Maybe more of a social road runner. Okay. You know, I just love doing the local 10 Ks. Did a couple marathons here and here and there, but nothing, you know, uh, nothing that was, uh, truly successful. But he didn't know? do any like high intensity stuff during the road running time, which would be no. somewhat atypical. No. He just ran. He's just a fun runner. Played, uh, played the cross 25 years ago in oh. high school and college, you know, so well, he's got, high intensity. he's got an athletic background. He's probably got some explosion and pop to him, those sorts of things. But you know, a decade of atrophy as he would refer to it as led to him coming back to sure. running, you know? But so what would you guess because you haven't gone through the whole phase yeah. yet. What, what would you guess is the outcome of this first high intensity phase? So first off, you're doing this high intensity work and you're going to do it for how long? Uh, three to five weeks for this VO2 max phase. And then then to be determined, I might extend it if he's if he's liking it, I might extend a week or two more. 
Um, and then I think we'll probably transition into, as we get into mid-February, which I think when this is coming out, uh, we'll probably try to get, uh, we're going to need to get that long run up a little bit as we get ready for it. He's going to do behind the rocks in March 20th or so. So we got to get the long run up, uh, you know, two to three hours and then three to four hours. And then, you know, we'll see where it stands based on consistency. I like the fact that you're not guessing on whether or not you're going to do a second phase right now. Right. Because a lot of times we've all been through this with athletes who don't have any high intensity experience. Right. Sometimes just, just two weeks. I mean, you're going to yeah. do it for maybe four weeks. You haven't yeah. seen quite yet. Yeah, might be Sometimes long. just two weeks is enough. Right. And then you have to back off. Right. And then maybe do it again or just maybe abandon it because you've gotten so much adaptation right. out of those couple weeks that, right. you know, you might want to switch to, to, right. to something else at that point. And I think that with athletes that, that have an endurance background, but not necessarily a structured training background, right. they see improvements for maybe four five or six years. It just sounds like this is, this athlete is fitting this prototype. Still in that. But, yeah. th- but then after that, after that point in time, that improvement starts to plateau right. and you have to do something different. Right. You might not necessarily have to do anything more or even more intense, but sometimes just the novelty of the intensity or of the training that you're actually doing provides some sort of stimulus. And here he's got, he's got, you know, a double bang for his buck. He's getting novelty because he hasn't done the high intensity, That's right. but also the high intensity, even if he had been doing all that would probably provide some additional benefit. Some for benefit. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's good. We're in week three of it now. And, uh, like I said, he's been, he's been enjoying it. So that's good so far. So yeah. what, so, okay. So you've got an either or proposition coming up. You're either going right. to repeat Right. That high intensity phase or you're gonna to move to something different. Right. What are the what are the things that are gonna tell you which direction to go? Right. Uh well, a couple of things and and again, I haven't heard this yet from the athlete, but um, you know, what is the perceived exertion at a at a similar pace on similar terrain? You know, is he perceiving himself as working less hard? Is the running getting easier on a standard ninety minute run around the neighborhood? If the, if the answer is yes, and then, you know, that's a simple way of determining we're making some sort of adaptation. Um, if the answer is no, then are we doing too, too much of that intensity, which I don't think we are. Uh, and, and in that case, are we going to, you know, make a change? Um, and if, and if not, then, uh, and then the novelty factor does the novelty factor wear off do yeah. we have to change like, something nah, else I'm, yeah. I'm over this already <laughs> yeah and then weather factors in a little bit too right i mean if there's yeah. if there's ice and snow on the ground outside uh you know i'll probably keep them a little shorter on the treadmill um shorter segments you know if it's if he's got some dry running available outside on you know gravel or something we might go into a tempo segment and put him outside uh if he wants to you know so um, a lot of factors going into yeah, it. I guess, I guess that's yeah. what I was kind of getting at. It's not yeah. just one thing right. that you look at in a stoplight right. fashion. You know, green yep. means go, yellow means pause, yeah. uh, red means stop. There's a few things that you're looking at that'll tell you, okay, we need to repeat this high intensity stuff or we need to go on to something different. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Good. So you got your three weeks into it right now. Of, of this phase, yeah. Of this phase. Yep. You don't quite know, you don't quite have the right. whole entire picture painted in terms of what the athlete feedback is, but if right. you were to prognosticate on it, well, what's it going to be? If I were to prognosticate uh, right around, uh, you know, 10th or so, I think Monday is the 10th of February, starting that week, we'll probably 
come out of a VO2 max interval phase, we'll reprioritize building the long run and we'll move, uh, we'll move the intensity to either steady state or tempo, something less intense, longer duration, maybe some more variability if we can get them outside for it. Um, you know, that, that's in my initial notes with this athlete was, I imagine we're going to be doing that. So classic reduce yeah. the intensity, Correct. increase the volume of intensity with tempo. Correct. You're going yeah. from like 16 minutes of work to 40 or yeah, 60 pr- minutes of work. Probably 30 minutes of work a week to 60 minutes of work a yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And then increasing the overall volume, classic volume intensity trade-off. Correct. Yep. So when, so you, you've got, you've got obviously got some sort of long-term plan going on with this athlete at what point you start incorporating some of the race specific stuff that Chantel was mentioning earlier in terms of nutrition planning, making sure that he can run at night, getting out on the course and things like that. Well, I think we're, he and I talked, we're just going to wing it. Just kidding. We're not going (laughs) to be, uh, you know, going in the spring, like I said, I mean, with run rabbit run, uh, in his, uh, uh, behind him in the rear view mirror. And I believe his first hunter was before he started working with me, uh, was Havelina. Um, in both cases, he's run through the night, right? Um, and in, uh, so he's got some night experience. He doesn't seem to have much trepidation about running at night. Now, if you live in Colorado Springs, he might, you know, it's some, some rough areas over there. I know you've oh, talked about man. this, Coop. Jesus, so bad now. Yeah. So I posted scary. something on Instagram yeah. last week on Goal Camp Road, which is like one of my staple yeah. roads that I, that I run on. Saw that. It's horrible. a total dump. Yeah. And, you know, not to go off on too much of a non-training tangent here, but the the volunteer community in Colorado Springs is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Anytime we have anytime we have a trail building activity or trail cleaning activity for any of the organizations there, of which there's probably a dozen, immediately it gets full. And we have to turn people away because we can only handle so many volunteers on one day. Mm-hmm. Despite that, this one area in Colorado Springs, Upshine Canyon, all on Gold Camp Road, just can, just gets trashed, and it yeah. gets trashed by idiots that are, you know, they're throwing tires down onto the trail. I found an air conditioner, refrigerator, biodegradable stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's just absolutely awful. And I mean, I'm kind of like taking it to leadership now, like because the volunteer community can only do so much. Eventually, the police have to step in, city council has to step in parks has to, has to step in to like curtail that stuff because we're just up to our elbows and trying to maintain this and we can't, we, we just can't keep up. That's an right. aside. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, Colorado Springs, yeah, yeah. for the most part, we got awesome trails there. Totally. There's a couple of places that yeah. you, know, you got to be careful of. Yeah. So from a, from an equipment standpoint, I mean, you know, one of my standards and, and maybe I need to update this and, and pick your guys' brain about this too, but you know, with night running and, and headlamps and I, I say, find a, a, great 300 lumen headlamp that you love and buy two of them. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know if that's enough, right? Maybe you guys can chime in, but, uh, so this athlete, you know, he's already got that from, from previous races. Um, he's set there, you know, from a pack standpoint, I mean, people, people like updating their packs a lot, you know, but I, I think know, he's, it's fun. Yeah. It's so, I love it too. Uh, he's in a good, pretty opposite. good spot. Really? You don't like updating you your pack? No, because I yeah. got all my spots for all my things. Yeah, it's kind of like a shoe when stuff. they change a shoe yeah. model and you're like, dang it. Like the, the four foot volume is just three millimeters less and then my toes right. bump into it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I imagine he'll be swapping out packs here a couple of times, but uh, I think that's fun and fine. Um, and then from a shoe standpoint, 
to my knowledge, he's been locked in on Hoka for, you know, since I started working mm-hmm. with him. And, and so I don't, you know, so I think we're, we're set on, on equipment side of things. Um, the biggie is in this, not just this athlete, but, but a lot, particularly males I work with, uh, becomes the race day nutrition plan. Particularly and with males? I see this particularly with males. Really? Oh, yeah, I want to hear more well, about this. Well, right. I mean, I, I think, I don't know. If Let's getting... stay on this athlete first. Yeah, okay. Then we'll talk about the particularly with males piece second. Well, this athlete, any long run that he's done uh, under, you know, working with me, um, we've either had GI just general distress at some point, or we've had, you know, full vomiting, dry heave session, you know, it's six, eight hours plus six to eight hours. Ooh. That's it, not good. It's not good. Yeah. And, and I, maybe it's I, correctable. Let me walk back from that. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. every sure, long sure. run, quite a few long sure. runs. Still though, it's not very good. I mean, and then in, in a, in one of the 50 miles we worked with that, I, that I worked with him last year. And then in, in the hundred mile, uh, same thing. So stomach distress. Right. Mm-hmm. And I see that, you know, to broaden that out, I see that a lot, uh, in males tend to have more distress. I don't know why I don't, huh. I, I don't, I don't have my spreadsheet and I'm, I'm giving you 62% say this, but you know, it just seems to be anecdotally, uh, I hear this a lot from, from guys. More from males. Why would that be plausible? Interesting. I think it has, to, I think it has a lot to do with day-to-day nutrition and a lot to do with day-to-day, uh, extreme nutrition, i.e. I just finished my, my two and a half hour run and those nachos are calling my name and, you know, three, three batches of nachos later and, and men do stupider shit than women. Yeah. That, that's I think, totally valid. Yeah. Totally valid. Plausible and it's not everyone. There. A couple of the, couple of the guys I work with like, wait, that's not me. And that's true. It's not you. But no, yeah. I mean, I would chalk that. I mean, yeah. I, I would, I would say that's a valid stereotype that men generally have like worse nutrition habits right. than women. And that can lead just to bad, just bad GI right. health overall. Right. Exactly. And, and, and for those of you listening, I mean, this was, this was a, this was me, uh, to a large extent. So I'm not trying to throw people on the bus. I mean, it's like, I'm done running. I'm going to overeat a lot of salty foods. Then I feel like crap for two days. And then I might not eat enough the day of the next long run. And I just repeat the cycle. You so know? if that's the problem, right. Having crappy food afterwards, right. what's the solution? Don't have crappy food afterwards. Okay, <laughs> there's, I think there's a better solution though. Yeah, the, the better Be solution. Prepared. Well, there's that, but I honestly yeah. think that the in-run nutrition, yeah. if you have that yes. more dialed in, it prevents the post-run gorge fest. Yes. Yeah, you're not, you shouldn't be like dying to eat something or feeling like you need two giant plates of nachos, right? right. If you fed yourself. Well, well, and that's one of the issues I've always had with like depleted runs or bonk runs and things like that. Like one, one of the many, not that they don't serve a purpose in, 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 in some cases, but doing them repeatedly, when you create this huge negative energy balance, you then have to replace that at some point. And a lot of times that gets replaced in some crappy meal yeah. right afterwards, yeah. to which A, you're now deteriorating your overall gut health, Correct. which unwinds any sort of theoretical adaptation that you're getting from the depleted run. But, but B is just not a healthy way to consume to burn and then consume calories with these huge Mm -hmm. fluctuations so when i when i see that when i see that in athletes whether my athletes or or other athletes where they you know they go out on a big run and then afterwards there's 
you know, five hamburgers and King Chef right. is the famous place in Colorado <laughs> oh, Springs to King go Chef. to, which you guys know, know about. Like, nor, like the fir- my first area of fixing is not focusing on the post-run right. meal. It's focusing on the during-run nutrition and just making sure that the deficit isn't as big. And so I'm not sure if, if calories is the driver. Um, you know, a lot of people I work with eat during it. But what, I've, what I've, you know, anecdotally come up with is sodium's the driver. So people seem to at least have a general awareness of, oh, I'm, I'm eating, you know, calories. And when we talk about it, it's like, oh, I'm eating about 180, 220 calories, you know, 200 calories an hour, you know, which may or may not be enough, but it's, they're aware of it. It's not nothing. Yeah. And, they're and, aware of it. I think that's a really good point. And, and they're also aware of, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing two liters of water with me. And by the end of the run, it's gone. So at least I'm aware of, I, I, people forget the, the sodium aspect and and right and so that drives a lot of the post-run behavior of salt 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 causes you know some other issues potentially and then just repeats itself so you know so for this athlete and individual bringing back to this athlete yeah. you know that's something we've talked about is that really trying to be aware of the sodium requirement now we've he's never done a sweat test i've never suggested yeah, a sweat yeah. test but using that range that that we talk about in CTS all the time, that 600, 800 milligrams of sodium, you know, so far. Per liter of fluid. Thank you. That's per liter. The key. Not per yeah, hour. Not the key yeah. piece of it. Per liter of fluid. Yeah, per liter of fluid. Um, it's interesting yeah. that you mentioned that though, Duncan, because the research actually teases this out a little bit. So when they do observational studies on ultramarathon runners, mm-hmm. they notice that they take in more salty and savory foods the later in the race. Yes. So there's something physiologically that's happening throughout the first part of the race. And right. maybe it's overall fatigue. Maybe it's an accumulated sodium deficit. Maybe it's some sort of you right. know weird biological thing with our palate. Who, who kind of knows? Right. But very clearly, there is this observation that the saltier the chips and the soups and the salted potatoes and things like that get consumed later in the race as opposed to the beginning. And interestingly enough, when you talk to the aid station captains, they tell the exact same story. Same thing. Like the aid stations in the early part of the race are like, oh, yeah, we had you know, electrolyte drink and gels and candy. Right. And the ones at the end, they're like, we have soup and quesadillas and, Mm -hmm. you know, fried potatoes and pretzels and you kind of name it. It's almost like a completely different menu later on in the race. So to your point of there's something that the long run, either nutritionally or biologically or a combination of both, that's causing this salty craving afterwards right. that then leads to the plate of nachos right. that we're trying to or four after or four or four plates <laughs> <Yeah>. of nachos <laughs> yeah and so i don't know you know in working with this athlete i mean um we didn't have much long runs uh in the fall post run rabbit but that was a we we really tried to say okay if it's a 3 hour long run that's you know we're going to get out the graphing calculator and we're going to we're going to come up with what are you going to carry with you and then make sure you're consuming it and then how are we going to you know and so we're we're entering into that phase again as the long run goes from two to three hours here in the next month and 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 up from there. So, so. you're using the long runs as basically the barometer right. to start to include the race day nutrition stuff. Yep, we're super smart because I, we see this a lot where athletes want to practice their race day nutrition program on like a 90 minute run. Right, it just doesn't work. Right, there's not enough stress to give you like a true false positive right. or anything like that on a 90 right. minute run. Like you need. Right. Three hours, four hours, five hours to really to to really kind of illuminate what's going to work and what's yeah. not going to work on those longer runs. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And uh, you know, I've noticed too with that some of the faster athletes, you know, for something like Leadville, you know, a lot of them can even go out and run four, five, six hours with barely anything, 
and and right and so then yeah. so then so, should they it, well, yeah, exactly. exactly and so they're exactly right Chantel yeah so they'll run six hours and then they'll well, I ran six hours I felt I'm like yeah but it compounds from six to eight hours from eight to twelve hours mm-hmm. and twelve to eighteen you hours can't, you can't make that up so, well but also yeah. th- like the point of going on any run much less a six or eight hour run is to get some type of physiological adaptation correct anytime you're starving yourself from calories, starving is not the right word. Any anytime you have a big negative energy deficit from a run or just from day to day life, you automatically blunt to a certain extent and sometimes to a big extent the adaptations that you're then trying to make. Mm-hmm. Right. So you you have you've created this as an athlete or as a coach. When you do those things, you go on these big runs with these big. Uh, uh, with these big energy deficits that you're either not replacing afterwards or not actually consuming calories during the run, you're automatically not getting as much bang for your buck. I mean, you're literally training hard and not getting as much adaptation, positive adaptation from that type of activity. And if you ever presented that proposition to an athlete, hey, we're going to go and do a four-hour run, but it's really only going to be worth a two-hour run because right. you're not taking... That's literally what's happening. I'm I mean, that's that's that. literally that's what's great. happening. Like you would never... You would, you would yeah. look at that and go, that's insane. Like, why would I put that extra two hours of stress on myself? Right. But right. yet you see that a lot. Yeah. And Either, is it only two hours of stress? If it, how it affects the performance, the recovery, your sleep that night, and then the next few days carry over. So it might actually be losing more than two hours. Of you might be right. Event, right. That'd be a good conversation to have. It's like, what are the trade-offs of right. doing this versus doing that? Because... Yeah. I mean, you could just kind of go on and on and on. And I've always, I mean, as a coach, you guys have gotten this by now. I always take the maximum, you know, maximum bang for the least amount of buck principle. And within nutrition and in-run fueling, that's one of those things where you can definitely see more bang for the buck if you're properly fueled. Now, that's not to say you have to go out and do every run at 300 calories an hour or anything like that. But you're avo- what what I think what it more so points to is you're trying to avoid like the big energy deficits from particularly from the longer runs. Right, right. Okay, so Duncan, you yeah. you've got almost the opposite thing going on with your athlete as compared to Chantel. Chantel has very little intensity with her athlete that's doing a hundred miler in April, which right. is eight weeks from now. Right. And you've got a hundred mi- your athlete is doing a hundred miler in August, which is six months from now, about six months from mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm you're doing super high intensity stuff. So you guys are on the opposite ends of the spectrum from both a volume and intensity right. perspective. Yeah. I think some of that's just proximity to the race, you know, on the, on the, on the calendar, uh, you know, seven months versus what, two months. Right. Uh, you know, as you get closer to the race, it gets more specific. So, you know, longer and slower will happen uh, as we get into summer prior to Leadville. So. Sweet. Yeah. I like it, man. Yeah. I think that's super smart. So they're yeah. going to crush Leadville. I think so. Uh, prediction uh, you know, obviously wants the big buckle. Uh, it is a, his his uh, his top secret goal is sub twenty four or something about that going mm-hmm. under twenty four hours. You know, as opposed to twenty five. Big deal for. So it's pretty good. Huh. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sweet. Well, I got, I'm glad I got it in the lottery. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a debacle. Of well, a I process. think the run was unaffected. Run was, was that okay. true? Was the, I think it was the mountain bike, right? Where the. <laughs> yeah. Problem happened, I think. Yeah, the man, that was that's crazy. Maybe I'll swing by and talk to Ken after this, and <laughs> yeah. he can give me the lowdown on it. <laughs> what all. happened? Uh, yeah. No. Anyway, 
Uh, they'll they'll correct. They let everybody in though. I think that's the yeah, right thing. That's I don't I know. To do. I don't know how that affects the field size, which would be kind of interesting. So for the for the listeners that aren't in on the mountain bike side, the lottery works like, works very similar to any other lottery uh, running lottery where everybody you know puts into the hat and then they draw electronic names out of the hat. And what they did is is they informed people who were not in the race that they were, and then they charged people who they didn't draw into the race. And now that my now that my memory serving me correctly, I think that some of that happened on the run as well. Oh, it, but anyway, it, the whole both the bike it. and the run, it was it was not done very well. And I think that the resolution to all of this, and I'll cor- I'll correct the record in the outro for this. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the outcome to all of this is they ended up letting everybody who thought that they were in the race. Or they can, the or they are also allowing them to defer to twenty one. Oh, okay, also. very good. So they have the this option. Br- breaking news: We might have it wrong. <laughs> it's like the election. It's like the Gore Bush election, right? right where they kept flip flopping the answer or the That's outcome. Right. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. All right, that's enough nonsense for now. I appreciate you guys being on. Thanks, Coop. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. Any any last parting bits of wisdom that you guys want to throw out to the listeners out there? Oh boy. Well, I, I was just going to say the thing that popped in my brain about wintertime running is uh, fat biking is now a popular pursuit oh, yeah. and there's entities right. that are grooming for fat biking. So we have... We have fat bike trails. The yeah. national championships is like in the next week or yeah. two, right? In Crested yeah. Butte. Crested yeah. Butte, yeah. And so, you know, our, our, our local trails organization here in Gunnison is it, grooming, I don't know how many miles, uh, probably, probably 30 to 50K for fat biking out of Hartman Rocks Recreation Area. And a lot of our trail runners here are, are hopping out on that. So if you're in an area that has some fat biking, maybe look to that. Oh man. There's a, there's a cool uh, bike manufacturer in Colorado Springs called Borealis bikes mm. that they, there, I think they might be the, the title sponsor. This fat, oh, this. Oh, yeah, cool. maybe. Of the yeah. fat bike national championships. But uh, yeah, I've always wanted to get on one because Colorado Springs is actually a really great, it's got really great terrain yeah. for that type yeah. of cycling because of the loose gravel yeah, and everything. It's very awesome. similar to snow and yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a good point. So anyway, fat Chantel. Biking. Parting words. Get proper advice if you have if you're dealing with something. I've just seen this is not a new thing, but you know, there's so many, you know, message boards, Facebook groups, whatever, and someone has an issue, a problem, and they put something out and you know, thousands of people, some of these groups are huge, right? Thousands of people have a different thing. Oh, I had plantar fasciitis and this worked for me. You are an individual. Get help from a professional. If you're dealing with if you're dealing with um, a problem like Duncan's guy and you can't solve the problem, why, you know, nutritionally, why he's not able to eat and why he's always throwing up and you're, you've exhausted your trial and error, see someone about it. See a registered dietitian, get some testing, get some help. If you've got a problem, you know, with your, with your body, don't rely on an internet group or your buddy in your run club to tell you which foot exercises to do. See a professional yeah, it's in our help. in our day and age. Everybody's a professional. It's actually yeah. hard to tell, mm. like who the quacks are yeah. and who are not, um, especially on social media. Yeah, but just just get real. You know, just try try not to you know go to all the internet experts. Like try to find a real expert in that particular field and get the support you need because it's you know we we put our bodies through a lot doing these kinds of events. And most of the people doing these events are, you know, in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s even. So we've got, you know, cumulative mileage on our bodies. And, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't drive your car around and never get your oil changed, right? So get some help if you you need it. I love it. 
All right, you guys, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you guys for your time. Thanks, 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 thanks for thanks being everybody. Everybody. Thanks, Yeah, thanks for being the guinea pigs to stress test the van. This is yeah, the first recording cool. in the van. So the van's pretty awesome. We'll see. We'll see how we'll <laughs> see how the audio turns out afterwards, but I appreciate it, you guys. All right, thanks a lot. And there you have it, trail runners. Hopefully you guys came away with some extremely practical tidbits of information that you can take out on the trails with you maybe today, maybe tomorrow, or maybe over the weekend. Thanks a lot to uh, Duncan and Chantel for recording this podcast. There were good sports about it, uh, considering this is the first time in the van. Uh, we had a lot of fun with it, as you guys, uh, as you guys can tell. And if you guys think a coach like Duncan or a coach like Chantel or any one of our other 11 CTS ultra running coaches. That's right. We've got 11 coaches in our coaching department and all of them are absolutely fantastic. If you think any of those coaches are right for you, you think they can help you out with your goals this summer, go ahead, hit me up on Instagram, hit me up on Twitter, and I will get you synced up with one of those coaches. Or you can visit our website, which is www.trainright.com and check out all of our coaching packages. We're running a special right now. If you enter the promo code COOPCAST, in all caps, when you sign up, I'll waive your registration fee. That's my gift to you guys, the listeners. Always appreciate the heck out of you guys. If you have a minute, go take some time and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or give it a rating or a review. I always appreciate the feedback, you guys. Had a lot of fun with this one. Uh, next up, I will see you guys at Black Canyon. Taking the van out to Black Canyon. Have a few athletes racing out there. Hopefully some of them will get some golden tickets, but it's always a good time uh, whenever I can get out to that part of Arizona and see people race. As always, you guys, we will see you on the trails.